0: Hello, welcome to the Enoch Pratt Library uh, Poe Room uh, for tonight's event, The Judges and the Judged. Kind of ominous sounding. Um, (laughs) um, I'm just going to make a few announcements before we begin. My name's Lisa Greenhouse. I'm a librarian here at Pratt in the Periodicals Department. Um, Let's see, uh, June 12th there will be a reading by poets that are published in a local journal called PASSAGER, which is a journal for writers over 50. And that I believe will be in this room at 6.30 on June 12th. Um, And if you're interested in finding out about events like that um, on a regular basis. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. Just leave your email, and we'll email you and let you know, you know, what's happening poetry-wise here at the library. Um, Also, on the back table, we have evaluations. So when we're through tonight, if you wouldn't mind filling one out, that would be uh, really helpful to us, um, because we, you know, need to make a case for having these kind of programs. And so if you enjoyed yourself, please let us know. Um, Oh, another upcoming program I forgot to mention. We're going to have a program called Poems by Heart, and it's actually going to be a regular program on Wednesday night starting in May. And it will be one Wednesday night per month, and what it is is a memorization event. So just memorize your favorite poem and recite it. And if you have to cheat, that's okay, but... um, if you can memorize the whole thing, that's great, too. And the first, um, the first one will be uh, Wednesday, May 29th at 6.30 p.m. in this room. Um, well, actually, it's not the first one. It's the second one. We already did it in April, and it was really fun. We had a great time, so that's why we're going to repeat it on a regular basis. So. Okay, well, I would like to um, introduce Laura Chauvin. She is the editor of the Little Patuxent Review and the uh, partner of the Enoch Pratt Library in our uh, poetry contest. And uh, Laura will introduce the readers tonight.
1: Hello, everybody. Hi, I think you may have all heard by now that I dropped my glasses in a school parking lot today and either I or someone else ran over them and squashed them. So, um, I Yeah, I look like a rock star. That's what the third graders I was working with thought it was really cool. Um, so I just would like to tell you a little bit about the history of this contest. About 18 months ago, I think, um, in fall of 2011, sort of out of the blue, I got an email from Lisa Greenhouse of the Pratt Library saying, would LPR be interested in partnering uh, for a poetry contest? And I, I don't really know why our name came up, but we were all very excited on the staff. Um, as you probably know, we're a Central Maryland-based very community-oriented literary magazine, and to have an opportunity to um, partner in this contest, which reaches out to all Maryland poets, uh, 18 and older, it just seemed like a great idea. It was very sort of, um, it wasn't going to require a lot because there were no fees involved, which we also really liked. So uh, it's been a great partnership. This was our second year um, I think the first year we had about 300 entries, and this year maybe closer to 400. 350. 350. Okay, so we grew by 50. So that was really good, and um, I just think it's been a really positive thing. So, do do all of you? How are you feeling about the contest in its second year? Good. Yeah, I do too, and um, and I just think it's it's nice to have these kind of partnerships happening. So I'm very grateful to Lisa and Shailene and the other Pratt librarians for um, for partnering in the contest. And I was really kind of tickled because we were at City Lit Festival, and um, someone had told me that the library needed another copy of LPR. And <laughs> Lisa came up to me and said the copy that they had had been stolen. I was like, all right. <laughs> That's good news. Somebody likes us. Um, So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about how the judging works. And um, it pretty much worked the same way both years, although this year, in addition to staff member volunteers, we had a guest judge joining us who was uh, Jerry LaFemina from Frostburg University. Okay, and um, so the way it worked was we ended up taking about 10% of the of the poems that were submitted and then the judges who were four of us both years um, went through and looked through all of those poems and then we shared our lists of maybe about the top five or six um, and ranked each of them. Now, last year, um, I think it was pretty clear to us who the winner was um it was joseph ross's poem when mamie till oh if mamie till was the mother of god and um it was just a, a very timely poem because i'm going to forget the name of um trayvon thank you the trayvon martin um uh, murder had just happened so it just happened to be um we had picked the poem before that that case really hit the news, but to have that on the windows of the Pratt at that particular time was, was moving for a lot of people and definitely for us. Um, this year we made the process a little bit more, I, I wouldn't say intense, but there was a lot more discussion of literary merit this year um, so that each of the judges, when they selected their poems that were in the top um, five, let's say, I asked each of them to to make a case. What were the pros and cons? And um, so I think all of you who are here, which are I'm pretty sure three of our finalists are here, um, just know that you went through a very rigorous process um, in having us select your poems. And congratulations to all of you. So I would like to congratulate the three winners who are here, um, who are Jared Fisher, Stephen Leva, and Lori Powell. And our two additional finalists were Rachel Brown and Alex Vidiani, is the, and they're both from Washington Washington College. Washington College students, so I was really excited to hear that. Uh, so what we're going to do, everybody, is we're going to have the reading will be both judges and the um, the finalists, and we're going to go in alphabetical order. Um, I don't happen to have bios for everybody. Uh, I know some of you, but not all of you. So I'm going to just introduce you by name. And if you could say a little bit about yourself, that would be great. And each of our readers are going to have 10 minutes. um, And after that, we'll have some book sales and we'll share some snacks. Okay, and our first reader is going to be Linda Joy Burke. Linda Joy has been on the staff, volunteer staff of LPR since its inception, I believe in 2006. So she's one of our original members, wonderful performance poet, and she has just come back from the Poetry Out Loud Nationals, where our Maryland finalist placed second.
2: Our Maryland finalist placed second in one $10,000. I just want to say that. Um, For memorizing and reciting poetry. So for anybody who says poetry is dead, tell them that the NEA and the Poetry Foundation. Do not believe that. I'm a poet, writer, performance uh, artist, storyteller, percussionist. I hear music in my head and um, I bring it out in individuals and um, people think I'm nice. So there's my bio. <laughs> Karma. If I were to come back as an animal I'd want to be a small creature who would live a short life, not this 80 or 90 year stuff. I'd be hardy enough, wouldn't have to be long on pension, though. I'd have no retirement needs. I'd prefer something in the green-shaded family to be just another drone predestined to blend into the background. I'd eat my way through my adolescence, have some hardly meaningful once-in-a-lifetime sex for the sheer benefit of procreation. Die before my progeny could realize they didn't want to be like me and rebel. I wouldn't have to worry about being selfish or needy, wouldn't have to reach out to anyone for comfort. With the sun warming my back, stories in my mind would be filled with mysterious scenes of one blade-grown, leaf-flown, cloud-blown day at a time unfurling. I'd want to remain unnamed, though, to die of natural causes, not crushed by some fool thinking that domain over all living things means kill everything not manly in sight or or getting fogged into oblivion, or worse yet, being preserved as a specimen and labeled a parasite. I wouldn't want to have to... I wouldn't have to want reach... Wonder, wouldn't need to love, hold, lose, there'd be no contemplation about, excuse me, there'd be no contemplation about raging against the dying of the light, shafts would come and go, each rotation would ease me closer towards infinity." Mortal, you try not to think of them doing anything other than the daily changing, subtle things like hair and cloth, more obvious things like doors being closed once and for all on the last grade, job, marriage, and opening to the next best Thing, new love, brighter day. You try not to imagine that someone may careen and crash or confuse them till their heart breaks or feel the need to blow them away or that their hands may grasp for things better left alone or that their psyche would deceive them. You try not to think of them leaving, constantly cull through mental artifacts. You try to remember the first minute you met. Try try to forget the last breath, the spiritless face You try to grasp lingering filaments Dream forgiveness and signs Bargain for different endings Rearrange internal ancestors' rooms With each leaving become more mortal Next to nothing to do This poem I wrote after the shootings in Connecticut, but more inspired by watching um, the documentary that I believe is on PBS. It's called The Interrupters. And The Interrupters is about the situation in Chicago. Um, Every hour or so, someone some young person is shot. There's a, um, a high school in um, a part of Chicago where by, I believe it was March, 25 of their students had either been killed or wounded by gunfire. Um, because I had been listening to the political discourses around um, gun control and um <clears throat> reading a lot of comments, which really is not healthy for one's mental health, um, online in response to the varying um, uh, discussions around gun control, this came out of me. Um, And also, um, there is a line um, that I did hear from a kid that I include in this. This poem is called Next to Nothing to Do. 1. After praying and candlelight rituals, after anger, tears, speculations, after finger-pointing and calls for sanity, after social media unleashes its bites of how we see it, before damage settles in as change, before grieving grows numb and cold, evolution reveals a new distraction for masses wallowing in a current angst. 2. This is how it is in this tricked out, fast tracked, multitask America of lack of attention spans and Jerry Springer show like impulse control. We're a melting pot of vehemence, seasoned with a pungent desire for the best thing yet. Three. We start off on the round orb. Thank you. You read my mind. Just him. He's lovely. We start off on the round orb. Wow, what a difference a water makes. As beings fixated on a heart-opening wide life and end up facing off against humans afflicted by pernicious heart wounds. Wars ensue. Broken pieces of hearts taint futures. Damage spans generations. Circles break over the smallest insult. Children die. Children die every day. Every day children will tell you someone raises hands, raises guns, raises cane. A child dies every day, everywhere. I've heard a child say, and there's really nothing we can do about it, nothing to do. Days of the ticking of the clock gone round. The alarm sounds, the race against green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, changing too fast in the day, slowed down to flashing in the night. Pedestrians march past city pigeons seldom startled into flight. Church bells chiming, car alarms beeping and whining, merchants unlocking and raising their gates, clank of change in computerized drawers, retrograde fashions Blocking the stores, clogging the stores. Retrograde fashions clogging the stores. Clandestine smokers blocking office building doors. Fast cars with vanity plates. Passing panhandlers with box card signs. Begging the movers for ten times a dime. And some shady man selling contraband. Taps me on the shoulder. Said, we ain't gonna get much older. Seems all the world is Thieves. Straight at the top, it ain't gonna stop this foolish man a plenty bit. He said, you and I, we be getting by by just ignoring all this shit. He said, take my hand, you gotta make us stand to deal with this unnatural life. He said, have a smoke. <coughs> you see, it's all a joke. Then you'll be naturally aware that maybe you won't have to care about selling and buying your souls wind blows suddenly against the porch chime angelic sound slows down too fast time jangled on the wind And this is my last poem. Lisa, thank you. Laura, you rock. You know that, right? We rock. And, you know, LPR, our community, our community is amazing. Patricia's part of our community, uh, LPR community. It's really quite amazing. Hopefully you'll get to pick up the uh, publication, see our videos on YouTube, read the blog. Like us on Facebook. Things I Can Touch. Welcome. Today, I turn the news of the outside world off, silencing the desire to ferret out other people's opinions about things I cannot touch. I pick up trash in front of my house, am gifted with finding a book of postage, and lost instruments that had rolled out of my car, unseen in the middle of the night, like errant meatballs. I pick up what trash I can touch, continue to go out of my way to exercise my tired bones. In this quiet, I rather my mass of imagination free, listen to the tumble, can you hear the air, it is the only thing that costs nothing. Okay, I don't think I took any of your papers.
1: Okay, our next reader is one of the finalists, Jared Fisher. Jared, where are you? Hi, nice to meet you. I haven't met Jared yet. And Jared, I was not given the name. Our contest is blind, I should have said before, so I don't even know which poem was yours. Mine's called News. Yours is called News. Okay, so Jared is going to read his poem News and some other poetry and introduce himself to us.
3: So I'm actually just going to read this one poem, and the only thing I'll say is I've been writing plays, and I have a play coming out at Artscape at the Annex Theater, the 10-Minute Play Festival. And I also work for the Dance Institute of Washington in D.C., and I work with um, youth who take dance classes. And this poem is about, you know, the negativity that we experience in the news and how... um, That's not actually what happens. We don't give ourselves enough credit for not being violent. Old lady in the library reading Tolstoy, the family of three, and Eddie's picking the apple cider for a party. The news is like the sun on skin, bad and good, mixed up to where we need a screen, but usually just take the beating. A stabbing at the parade, the lottery winter poison. Fear and gruesome stories gather storm clouds above the city that threaten everybody on the streets. We try our best to acclimate to the weather's give and take, taking cover beneath our newspapers. We miss some subtle change. Down the street, a new volunteer serves soup at the kitchen. A middle school rises from the disuse of a coat factory as construction workers install new windows, through which fresh eyes will see.
1: Next, I'm going to introduce Jerry LaFemina, who we were so, it was so nice to have um, a guest judge join our group this year. I just think it was, what do you think, Linda, Joy, and Patricia? It was fun to have a, a different voice and a new person kind of come into our community that way. So we were, we were really pleased to have him as part of the discussion, and um, I will invite him up to introduce himself.
4: It was a lot of fun to do yeah. and you know uh great work it was great poems it was a hard choice to make uh, I direct the Center for Creative Writing at Frostburg State University which is a literary uh, community literary arts outreach organization and uh, we do lots of fun things and it's only a two-hour drive so you know if you're looking for something to do you should visit our website or our Facebook group that's all I got to say about me um, because uh, LPR's next issue is a music issue, and, and because I still, uh, I still am a part-time guitar slinger, I'm gonna I'm gonna read all music-based poems. I uh, I toured the country with a New York hardcore band. I had a picture of me, you know, 25 years younger with an electric blue mohawk. Um, and this poem is called New York Hardcore, and the goal is to feel like a hardcore punk song. Sixteen angry, pissed, each song was leather, spikes, clenched fists, thrust upward, steel-toed boots and slam-dance pits, thrash guitar, brash bass, goddamn and shit and fuck, no rules, no love, no luck, just slashes of sound. Sixteen, with nothing but stashes of loss and apathetic parents Failed schools, crap jobs Question authority, equaled no rules We trashed the clubs, hearts like jackhammers We drank distortion and volume and clamor Every song, a smashed window, a quick run We burned to ash, blood on the strings Song's done I'm actually co-editing with Greg Wilhelm of the City Lit Project, an anthology of poems that cover... Uh, the Clash is London Calling, and um, so if you're interested in writing uh, a London Calling record, you should uh, London Calling poem. You should uh, talk to me afterward. Uh, and there are going to be uh, poems for each song, and then there's going to be a section called liner notes. And this will be one of the liner note poems. It's called After Breakfast. I consider string theory, and it starts with an epigraph from London Calling, which is I live by the river. Morgantown Morning. In the distance, a train whistle from the west shore of the Monongahela River. Closer to home, Joe Strummer's manic, bird-like, oh, oh, ow, ow atop Paul Simonon's simple, steady bass which shakes the window mist. Each day, the prior darkness lasts a bit longer, dawn hesitant as a ninth-grade boy's desire. The kids at the bus stop discussing homework and gossip. What does X equal? Did you hear who has a crush? They await the bright slices of bus headlights carving the mist. When London Calling came out, I was their age and trying to understand the arithmetic of yearning, which I never mastered. Though inevitably I learned to seem aloof, to master staring in the distance as if at a spider web unfurled in the corner, its engineer plump as a thumb in slumber, the web silvery with dew. The bus is a bluebird bus, October yellow with blue-black lettering for the school district and a stylized bird in flight. Do I alone see the irony in this? The train carries loads of scrap and slag. Hopper car, hopper car, hopper car. Ten of these, fifteen. If a train leaves Pittsburgh at 5 a.m. traveling south and it passes Morgantown at 7.05, X is how many miles per hour? Its whistle is a mile away, so we hear it already a second after it occurred. This is the problem of time, the problem of memory. And so X is a phone number I was given once and lost, and X is the number of light years across the known universes, and X is the street address of the house across from ours with its furrowed awning and windows still dark. But if X is nothing more than the name of a girl in a class that a boy writes over and over again like an incantation in a marble notebook because he stutters when he feels it on his tongue and he is failing math class for the first time ever, what can be done? So it must be love, the way the bound flies and the spider web must be hunger and the Hubble photos of colored lights and gases must be the remnants of the universe's beginning, the echo of the echo of the Big Bang. Mist rising from the valleys and hollows in the mountain state and the eastern sky slurring magenta from stark gray. X is 7.08 a.m. X is the mark on my hand to see a band in a bar that year do a cover of London Calling, and X is the girl I spied there diving from the stage and how I dreamt her for months afterward, though I only saw her for a second, her body seemingly weightless, hollow-boned, so slight she was passed above the crowd, The bus rumbles past my house and is gone. The bus stop, empty now, but for the first leaves of autumn, kicking the air. X is the air in motion, and X is stillness. Outside, I step through a long strand of spiderweb, nearly invisible but for the way it glistens like a thin rail, or more precisely, like the high E-string of an electric guitar and stage light. Little filament, little foundational cable. A whole world disturbed momentarily. From the telephone lines, birds take off. Moments later, other birds land. Thank you. This is called Second Avenue Station, heading home. Guy on the train sang Otis Redding, used his cupful of change like a tambourine. Topside, snow flurries salt the sky, as if the weatherman couldn't care less that the calendar declares spring. I told myself I wouldn't write about the subways for a year, told myself I wouldn't fall in love, too. Fat lot of good either did me. The dollar store still displays valentines in its window. All those hearts, those stupid cupids. Maybe they're a portent. A woman reads tarot on the platform like a three-card Monte dealer. She's got a box set up. She flips just three cards, too, for that's enough. When she sees me coming, she offers the deck. Mine are the priestess, the two of cups and strength. For a one-spot, she'll divine what they mean, but I can spend only so much with my many expenditures. Yes, I gave a buck to that homeless crooner, the way I gave one to the pregnant teen who'd once swooned for a man who left fingerprints on her neck's pale flesh. Everyone's got a sad story to tell, or else they're writing one. I've said my prayers for the future, down on my knees like a penitent, though I'm sorry for nothing. Or is it, I'm sorry for everything? Walking past her box again, all those cards appear reversed, and doesn't that mean something else? I only have a few dollars left for these offerings that absolve little. At the turnstile, I give one to an amputee vet who thanks me and grants me a blessing from any God I choose. This is called on hearing david bowie 's heroes and um, the The joy of this poem is to to intersperse as many lyrics from that song as possible. Um, Seventeen, in love and lovelorn simultaneously, Bowie crooning through the speakers in my basement room, Laura with me and not with me both. I learned love is a dialectic. I remember standing by the wall while she was all sarcasm and sexy. Years later, we can laugh at it. I was never a king, though I strived for nobility and came up short. Littles changed, just names and cheekbones, noses, though maybe I know a little something about failure and forgiveness and what it means to kiss like nothing could fall. Have you considered this might be why I don't pull you close? So many mornings I re-entered the world as sunlight filled the filthy windows and watched dust motes swirl like poltergeists of longing. Nothing will drive them away. Last night, the stars over our heads seemed a blessing, a hundred small and miraculous kisses. I'd say I've given up on romance, but I'm a lousy liar. Just ask Laura. She'll vouch for that. I could be anything I once believed, back when she and I made out, when inhibitions was only a vocabulary word, Bowie spinning on the stereo, I could be a villain or a hero, though I know where my tendencies seem to lead, and it's not where you'd think. Maybe still I can be king, and you... You could be queen if only you needed me, wanted me. I swear we could beat them just for one day, and come morning I wouldn't be gone. Not this time. Not anymore. This will be my last poem. It's called The Record Store Cat. I like record stores with cats, and I like bookstores with cats, and I think those cats don't like each other necessarily. Just, Just say. Anyway, it's, uh, it, it references um, T.S. Eliot briefly and it also re- uh, references Christopher Smart's Jubilat Agno for I Consider My Cat Jeffrey. Um, so that's, I think, all you need to know. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Laura, for inviting me to do this and Lisa and the Enoch Pratt for setting this all up. It's wonderful. The record store Cat knows more about music than half the rock guitarists in New York, and he's mastered cool, too. Right now, he listens to social distortion while his tail swings in counter-rhythm as it has all morning. Last night, he mellowed out to soulful funk. Gloriously tortoise-shell, he lounges in the store's bay window, dreaming of Washington Square pigeons, chasing them the way he does the mice downstairs among the old LPs. He allowed me to pet him briefly and to scratch beneath his chin, though his eyes yellowed with disinterest or disdain, even as he raised his head higher the leather-jacket hipsters could learn a lot but they choose not to notice or watch so concerned are they with their apathy he's no relation to the bookstore calico with her contempt for t s eliot and for every potential reader who calls her old deuteronomy or rumtum tugger nor is he kin to christopher smart's jeffrey though he too is of the tribe of tiger nor of my own cat who must even now pace our apartments rooms aggravated by my absence when i return he'll ignore me except at supper time and when he wants motivation to purr Sometimes I play records and he sits before the turntable, head cocked like the adolescence I once was, imagining whom I'd serenade with let's spend the night together. So fickle and self-determined, so utterly untamed, even in domesticity, this is what it means to love sometimes."
1: Thanks, Jerry. Mm-hmm. You got my list, man. I, I, I think I stole it by You did. That's okay. I know who's next, but it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, our next reader is Stephen Leva, and um, he's going to read his finalist poem, which um, was one of the ones I, I really enjoyed. It's very... Baltimore poems so I think you'll you'll like this one and hopefully he'll read some additional poems I see you have your book in the back which is going to be for sale after the reading so let's welcome Stephen
5: Hi I'm Stephen Leva. I'm a uh, alumni of the University of Baltimore's MFA program Um, And I teach at uh, CCBC Essex. Uh, One of my colleagues is in the audience as well. And I also teach at the University of Baltimore in their undergraduate writing program. Great intro, right? Here's a poem about my hometown. It's called Natural. If I say New Orleans, I must say orphan. Must Parade it before all dirges, all Zodokho. Four golden men mortgaged to the street, the filament of their souls, beignets and bee bread, panhandle on the dead. Big Ezekiel the first ruts in the yellow of their name like an organ, like crab fat. In winter, each becomes a street lamp. Wrought iron in the blood rusts bourbon through the eye. If I say New Orleans, I must number the things that do not drown. Twenty shades of local purple, of local blended blue and red on black, the kind of fist paints. A levee of bottles, stained glass, an empty one for every child without a paren the ways to wail in jazz, improvising heat and weeping and grief, to make a song a delta, a mouth, the Mississippi. The fat of one Tuesday floated like a flowered hearse through the streets. If I say New Orleans, I must speak of beads in my wife's body, her nipples, her clitoris, and the sun the pleasure of the sky, its blue body so near to death, and the night that comes, its pearls of sweat thrown out, I must pray. This is the last parish, the last altar in America where something, food, remains holy. Even shit sanctifies the land. To arrive here you must sink, must bow below the level of the ocean, the first priest of the world and be christened. If I say New Orleans, I must mention being born. <laughs> you guys are very kind. <laughs> um So uh, I just want to thank uh, uh, Laura uh, and the Little Patuxent Review for having me. Um, This is such a beautiful room. I've been here several times for readings. Um, But it just occurs to me now that everywhere you face, you're faced by Poe. um, And yet he's never looking at you. (laughs) He always seems to be looking somewhere else. And and I think maybe there's there's something about poetry in that. Um, So uh, I'm going to read some more poems from uh, my book, Low Parish. And, and the book really tries to deal with um, how people and place become metaphors for each other very quickly. Um, I, I began to, you know, really enjoy thinking about the word uh, parish, um, and, you, you know, it, it comes from a Greek word that means uh, two men in the same chariot, so there's a lot of doubling in the book. There's a lot of two people doing the same thing. Um, but I also was fascinated how, you know, a, a parish can be a geographical location, but it's also the people. Um, And I began to think, well, what if we want to step down further in the hierarchy? You know, a family is a kind of parish. And if we want another step down further, you you know, within the individual, there's a parish, to kind of pull a little bit from John Locke. (laughs) Um, But then I realized, well, what's the lowest parish? It's language. Language is the lowest parish. Um, So this book has a lot of um, portraits and places made up of language. Uh, So I'll read read two portraits. This one's called Rose. Another apple-bottom woman flogging the cobble in 10-inch pumps. There isn't enough whistle in the men to properly catcall. Browner than a drought-ridden Mississippi, her thick legs bless the boardwalk. Leave eyes red-breasted plump. In a sweat-slew dress, marooned deep between her legs, she escapes a fresh beating from summer hail. A finger, embossed in spit, insists over a mouth, and she enters an alley. Bucked against brick, her ass is a bruised plum. She counts clouds for a few minutes. Then slings get finished down a man's ear, her feet numb. This last trick. <laughs> um, so when I was writing the book, um, uh, I was accused of never never letting the reader smile in the <laughs> in the whole book. Uh, so uh, I'll read a poem that. Gets as close as it's going to get to uh, making you laugh. Um, So this is called "News from a New York Construction Crew." Let's be honest. It took years to make these eyes into sledgehammers. I look and pummel the city into handfuls of raw pointillist material. Yellow cabs dash color back across suspension bridges, a gift from outer boroughs. Buildings incorporate birds and clouds into their tattoos. Surat and Eclude dot the East River with rain. Trained windows whip apparitions of palette paint across the face. Granite sand pulls the shore to grit what can I say to make you step back see clearly there is no distance you can go to see clearly um, so I'll just, uh, I'll just read two more um, and I'll finish with the finalist poem because um, I think it's pretty good um, so uh, this next one is called Ithaca Enduring the nor'easter, a bluebird enters a half-town, a coda resolving the Finger Lakes. Evening gnaws on the damp bone horizon until nothing's left, but some gray snow smeared like ash on the forehead of door after door. The bluebird, half-blind and puffed with rain, draws his bow of song, slides it across thin, bare boughs, and names again the final island, home. Home, by dawn his hours sung are not enough. The day's first-born light reveals what hasn't survived. No one waits for a wailing a scilla wind eats six notes from the scale leaving this sustained shrill as a whistling arrow piercing the air note caught in the throat of the bluebird exiting the half-town all naming truncates down to I am I am a sliver of lightning Renews the town's burning bush. The bluebird's shadow burns in effigy. And uh, this is my finalist poem uh, Highland Town After the Zappa Statue, uh, to go with uh, the music theme that the previous reader brought up. Have any of you seen this statue before? I was always—I was really surprised about how small it was. I expected this huge statue when I announced it, but uh, that's Zappa right there. Um, so uh, this is Highland Town after the Zappa statue. Children of dull import and stevedores for life. Dock work passed down like family deeds and ground rent. Orthodoxy burned instead of incense. Sons of Highland Ave Know well to assuage Their Greek around the Chesapeake Oh For the city's Charm is a snake Of language Eating its own tail And to that end Oh Hun, Nothing can be done The men wake to the sun Running rush through steel Mills gutted Seasons of dead fish and Spartan women unmoored in waves of row homes. Thank you.
1: Our next reader is um, the winner of the contest Lori Powell and if you haven't had a chance yet please on your way out go and take a look at her poem in the windows of the Pratt which is part of the prize for winning Um, it looks beautiful the designer Pratt designer does a wonderful job and uh, I'll just introduce Lori.
6: Hi. Well, I'm a teacher as well. Um, I teach English as a second language to children and to adults in Montgomery County. And um, let's see, the poem that was judged is called To the Bird That Wakes Me. Beyond my window, a stairway floats in the trees, three notes up, three down. Your song at first light climbs to unlock the morning. How long I've followed you up these stairs and down, grateful to put one foot before the other. Then this morning you change your rhythm, add a flourish of notes, a finial at the end of your stairway. What do you mean by this sudden baroque turn? Have pity on me, wedged in the skin of reason, finger tracing circles and spilled coffee while the world shifts within its speckled egg. Um, I live quite close to the Potomac River and spend a lot of time walking my dog out there. And in the summer when the water level gets really low in this particular, I guess it's just a branch of the, of the river, you can see the, the boulders that are on the bottom of the river. And it's sort of like looking at the clouds. You can see all kinds of shapes in these boulders. So this next poem is about that. It's called Country of Rocks. When all has gone soft, I find this boneyard of hard ends. Heels, chins, elbows angled from earth. Foreheads, granite enough to do my thinking for me. I'll be the belly that swallows silence whole. Broad brothers, lodge a stony finger under my ribs. I'm a little nervous just to let you know. Um, Try to relax. Um, This next poem I wrote when or after a trip to Brazil where my son was, was married and I had the good fortune to go to the wedding. And, well, it's called In Brazil. Dogs trot along the sides of roads and through supermarket parking lots, lean and focused as itinerant salesmen. I imagine leashed lives for them, hunks of meat, regular caresses. Don't touch them, warns my host, A continent away, the things I have touched wait for me, a quiet ambush of possessions. My thoughts brush lightly over them, keeping them free of dust. Here in Brazil, I wake each morning to the same square of sky in the open window and watch sunlight slide along banana leaves. It is like walking out of the sea again and again to find the same perfect shell. I pick it up, I take it home. Thank you. Okay, this one's called. It's another travel poem. Um, It's called "Travels with My Mother." Shinkatig. After hours spent charming the twin snakes of obligation and love, we come to this place where the natural world hums sublimely, all of its joints gliding, while we creak after it, gawking. This place where the water at dusk is mauve and shining white, where salt stains the skin, and where, turning a corner, we come upon five egrets high in a tree, Stark as clean bones, neat as five lies told in quick succession, beautifully and without guilt. In this place, I began to steal shamelessly. The stillness of trees I wrap like a bandage over my eyes. I stop giving answers, singing instead and in repeating verses, two notes then three, like the cardinal. I grow smaller and thinner. You begin to lose me among the pine needles. But no theft is perfect. We leave this place together, each wearing the skin of her usual camouflage and the hats you brought in case the weather turned cold. Um, Let's see, I think I'm going to, since that was kind of a long one. this one's called At a Ceramics Show all these careful people arms straight at their sides as if clutching unpredictable children these heaps of mud granted temporary geometry shuffling towards the exit holding the bowl of themselves by its brittle edges thank you um, let's see This one's called By Heart. I've learned the progress of summer by heart. First the green tendrils curling smoke-like from the thaw of dead leaves, the tender bones of vole and bird, the stew of winter. Then the stark woods drape themselves at furious vegetable speed. It is a shouting of freedom. It is a high note held until the lungs collapse. For a time, only the small hearts of fruit matter. I hear them throbbing gold, crimson, purple, and my blood leaps along its intricate necklace. Okay. All right, the next one's also a poem about something outside my window. Um, In the summertime, because I live at the edge of the woods, um, the insects are um, extremely loud. Um, But also just, I usually open the windows so that I can hear them more. Um, This is called Insects. On nights my room is not big enough. I open a window to this other, where the hail of small sounds is the night coming unstrung bead by bead. Somewhere in the thicket of trees are the, th- are the slender thumbs of their bodies, the brittle legs sighing, but their song has broken free and runs in all directions, an engine with no god. Listening, I clamor with voices. I am a story told small. I am a jaw clicking and clicking in a thicket of gods. Thank you. You are a kind audience. Okay, I think um, I think I'll read one more. Let's see. Okay, this one's called Magic. Okay, Magic. Every morning I walk forward and wait for the words to come. I see them in the distance, circling like hawks in a funnel of warm air, spelling themselves over and over on the same piece of sky. How have they become so wild? Or have I gone tame, a child of gravity falling through the sky each night, a stone at the end of a toss, to learn it all again in the morning, the clever trick, this conjure of air and feathers? Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Laurie. So um, Laurie's poem is going to be in the next issue of Little Patuxent Review, which comes out in June, and I'd like to invite you all. um, I have two invitations. June 22nd is our launch reading, which is always a great event. The, um, the summer issue reading is always a lot of fun because it's part of the Columbia Festival of the Arts. It's free and open to the public, June 22nd, 2 p.m., Oliver's Carriage House in Columbia. And then our next issue is going to be, uh, the theme of, will be science, and it will be guest edited by Baltimore Poet, Uh, fiction writer, and science educator, Lalita Narona-Blob, so I'm really excited that she will be guest editing, and there's a card in the back if you'd like to pick it up with information on the reading period for that issue, and I would like to introduce our last reader who was um, the fourth judge, Patricia Van Amberg, um, a dear friend, wonderful poet, and also an educator, recently retired from HCC. Welcome, Patricia.
7: Actually, I'm not that retired because I still teach creative writing and literature. But um, I wanted to, I'm ha- really happy to be here with all of you tonight. And I wanted to say that my granddaughter, David Bowie is my granddaughter, my five-year-old granddaughter's favorite, jump, magic, jump. Dance, magic dance, and I think she's resuscitated his career. (laughs) I'm only going to read two poems tonight, and um, I chose them, well, I chose the first one because it is a specifically Baltimore poem, and it appeared in the um, social justice issue of the Little Patuxent Review, which Laura told me sold out. So I think I have a collector's piece here. So this is the story about a woman who actually lived in Baltimore in, um, I think it was the 1950s. She had um, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she eventually did die from that cancer. But um, her cells that were taken in a routine, just a routine um, collection, became the first cells ever to be grown in a laboratory experiment successfully. And, of course, that created a multimillion-dollar business. But her family was not even told that her cells were being used for research until years later. Her name was Henrietta Lacks. And um, you may have read her story because it was a New York bestseller um, a, a couple of years ago, I think. And so this is my tribute to Henrietta Lacks in celebration of her cells. This is your life, Henrietta Lacks, mother of four, dead of cancer. Oh, can I just go back to say, I wrote this as a sestina, which I don't normally do, but I hoped the repetition of words over and over would replicate the cells replicate the this is your life, Henrietta Lacks, mother of four dead of cancer, unwitting donor of cervix cells, able to grow in synthetic culture, DNA that was somehow right and ready to become immortal. You did not give or even sell fragments that were your right to own beyond the blight of cancer, to own beyond the bonds of culture, to own beyond the wealth you lacked, your ownership of being mortal. After death, who owns your cells? Can our manipulation be right? The benefits might make it moral to fill the banks that science lacks. Who of us would own our cancer? Aren't we all owned by culture? Your family did not have rights to name the destiny of those cells, their heritage of your cancer or edge against mortality, the power of a whiter culture the possession of all they lacked. Doctors said they did not sell all those samples of your cancer, but science now owns the right to grow that sample into culture, which turns into the hope we lack for human life that is immortal. Posthumously, you battle cancer in those many man-made cultures, helping science get it right, succeeding where others lack, to fill the gap with growing cells, still your own, but now immortal, a tardy tribute to your life. And I'm just going to read. Oh, thank you. Just going to read one more. And the reason I'm reading this is it was in the Maryland Writers Association um, anthology, Life in Me Like Grass on Fire. And I love the way anthologies create a community of poets and writers. And um, this is called Red Thread Zen, and there really is such a practice as Red Thread Zen, and although we think of Zen sometimes or most of the time as something austere, Red Thread Zen has more to do with fertility. My sister has planted love in a puff, cardiospermum heart seed, sometimes called a fem plant, its vine can climb ten feet a season. Insignificant summer blossoms ripen to pod pregnant with hearts. When autumn blows a harvest, whether lung or heart or womb, balloons pop like party favors. Imagine red-thread streamers binding us to birth and death. Thank you.
1: So, I'd like to thank everybody once again. Um, Let's have a round of applause for all of our readers. And we have with us three of the librarians who are part of the committee um, supporting the contest, so, I'd like them to either wave or stand up and be recognized. Thank you. Um, so I, from what I hear, we can do, are we doing question and answer? Or are we just going to informally mingle and have a snack? And, um, I'm a little bit too discombobulated to read and, and with my, it's a little dark with my glasses, so I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we will we'll just we'll just eat and and talk and I would like all of the readers if we could gather together and get a picture if you don't mind for the LPR website I'd appreciate that and um, thank you once again thank you Pratt for hosting great reading everybody and um, happy May I loved National Poetry Month but you know April is the cruelest month so welcome May happy May Day